0: Yes, so as I was saying, over the last couple of weeks, we've been strengthening the two mental qualities that are known as sati and samadhi, mindfulness and stability of mind. And we've been doing this first by using the body as a kind of foundation to keep bringing our awareness back to. And then last week, we opened up to the experience of hearing And as you've been describing, just that settling back, resting, and allowing sounds to be known. And when we keep bringing our awareness back to just one specific aspect of experience like that, whether it's the breath or physical sensations or sounds, that experience is referred to as our meditation anchor. or Sometimes it's called our primary object of awareness. And it acts like a kind of a home base that we can keep coming back to. And that, that repeatedly coming back is what helps to steady and stabilize the attention. So you might wonder, well, why do we even need such a thing as a primary object or an anchor or a home base? Anybody have any sense? Why do we need that? What does the mind normally do? Spin? Wander? Float off? Yeah. So we need this primary object as anchor because the mind frequently wanders off and gets lost. And where, let's just check, where does it most commonly go to? Where does it get lost? Thoughts, thinking about the future, thinking about the past. Yeah. And that's why last time I kind of made that joke when I was talking about when we use the phrase mindfulness of breathing, it's really a setup because our actual experience is more mindfulness of breathing and thinking for most of us. Most of the time, that's probably a more accurate description of what we're actually doing when we're practicing mindfulness of breathing. Does that feel fair? Yeah. So before we even go any further, just, I just really want to normalize that that experience of thinking while meditating is natural and completely to be expected. But even very experienced meditators can have an unconscious belief that good meditation or the goal of meditation is to somehow stop the mind from thinking at all. And while it's true that this can happen sometimes on retreat when we cultivate very deep states of samadhi or absorption that are known as the jhanas, in the context of insight meditation, and particularly in our daily life, most of us, most of the time, are going to be experiencing thinking. And it's actually a key skill of mindfulness practice to learn how to relate skillfully to our mental activity. And this is why in the Buddha's teachings in the Satipatthana Sutta, the four establishments of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind is the third of these four establishments. So it has a whole category to itself. So this evening I wanted to start to expand, open up the field of our awareness to begin to work very directly with the mind and to undermine this common misperception that mindfulness is just about being with the breath or just about being with the body. And if the mind is anywhere else, then we're not meditating. And to me it's quite sad how often I hear people say things like, well, I can't meditate because my mind just won't stop thinking. Sounds familiar? But in insight meditation, this type of meditation, the thoughts themselves are not the problem. It's how we're relating to them that determines whether it's an issue or not. And just to say, I can totally understand why people might have this misperception that uh, thinking is not supposed to happen in meditation. Partly because of how we usually start the meditation instruction. Just as I've been doing in the course so far, we start with an anchor. So the breath, the body, or sounds. And then the instruction is usually keep bringing the attention back to that anchor whenever you realize it's moved. And because it usually moves into thinking, then it's not surprising we develop the idea that thoughts are wrong or bad and they shouldn't be happening. And if people do a lot of beginner's courses, and those are the instructions that they just hear over and over and over again, then they don't always understand why we start with an anchor or how to incorporate mindfulness of the mind into the practice. So the reason that we start with an anchor as a reference point is because that repeatedly coming back to that anchor is what helps to develop samadhi, stability of mind, undistractedness. And it's that stability and undistractedness that allows the mindfulness to then pay more attention to those more challenging aspects of our experience, like thoughts, without getting lost in thoughts, without getting entangled in them, without taking them personally and thinking them to be me or mine or who I am. Because when we do get tangled up in thoughts like that, they tend to take on a life of their own. And in Buddhist terminology, some of you referred to this, this is what's known as papancha or proliferation. Anyone remember what proliferation is? You want to define it for me? Thinking on and on, yeah? Yeah. Thinking on and on, (laughs) ditto, yeah. Rumination, spinning out, looping, obsessive, compulsive soup. Yeah, and another, one thing leads to another, and another, and suddenly you're on holiday in Tahiti, and yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, amplifying, (laughs) and completely disconnected with present moment reality. And often, as many of you are pointing to, where that rumination takes us is not a very helpful or skillful place and can even be harmful to ourselves or to others. So I briefly referred to proliferation a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about Gil Fronstell's model of the wheel. I'm not sure if all of you were here for that. But as a quick recap, it's a way of laying out our experiences as a series of concentric circles and the body and the breath are at the center or the hub of the wheel and then on the outer rim is the proliferation or thinking run amok is one description of it. So the body and breath are at the center and then just outside of the hub of the wheel are all of our sense experiences Sights and sounds and smells and tastes, physical sensations, mental actions. And every one of those sense experiences is automatically classified as... Anybody remember? Either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Yes, thank you. So that's just happening automatically by our human biology, our human nervous system... And often these pulses of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral then give rise to all kinds of reactions, of liking, of not liking, of not knowing, which then complexifies even further from the center of the wheel and ends up in thoughts and emotions and moods and mind states that keep the whole thing spinning if there's no mindfulness. And then we find ourselves sucked onto the outer rim of the wheel. There's that centrifugal force that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. So the key point with that diagram to keep in mind is that the body is at the center and proliferation is at the rim. And the further we get from the hub, the more we tend to feel like we're spinning out. So the invitation when we feel or recognize that spinning out in the mind is to try to come back to the center of the wheel, to the body, to the immediacy of just sounds or just the breath or just physical sensations. And in the sharing just a few minutes ago, a lot of you pointed to just that move when you could stay with just sound as sound. It wasn't annoying. It was just sound. So today, as we start to explore the mind more directly, we can start to just simply know mental activity, thoughts, emotions, moods, mind states. And I like to break it down a little bit into those categories, partly because there's a lot going on in the mind for most of us. And so I try to just... Pull pull apart a little bit those four categories, and to say they're slightly arbitrary distinctions. The point is not to get lost in an intellectual analysis and try to figure out whether boredom is an emotion or a mood or a mind state. It's just to be aware that there are different types of mental activity, different processes, and most of us need some training, like we were saying earlier with the body or with sounds just to be able to recognize what's happening in the mind and to be able to articulate it to ourselves so that we can get more clarity about it. And we'll be doing that soon in the guided meditation. So first, just a little bit about these kind of working definitions. Thoughts. By thoughts, I mean just how we use it in English. Any kind of thinking... It might show up as sort of words in the mind or as mental images. Might be memories of the past or fantasies about the future. And unlike emotions, thoughts generally don't have much of a bodily aspect to them. They're intellectual and they're often quite insubstantial. They tend to go, come and go pretty quickly. Which which is not to say that we don't sometimes get lost in thinking for long periods of time, but the individual thoughts that make up the thinking come and go, come and go, come and go pretty fast. Does that feel true so far? Yeah. Emotions, on the other hand, tend to stay around for a bit longer, and they're not purely mental experiences, they often have physical sensations associated with them. So that's one way I distinguish between thoughts and emotions. Emotions have a bodily aspect to them. So maybe to use Emmy's example, you were talking about that feeling of anger and you were able to be with the physical sensations in the body. And if that had been me, there was probably heat in the face or tightness in the jaw or hunching of the shoulders or perhaps puffing up of the chest. So we can notice, and part of the point of this training, particularly with things like anger or anxiety, is to try and catch it early before we've proliferated into a full-blown anger attack or anxiety attack or whatever it might be. Tonight, I'm not going to try and go into emotions in too much detail because we don't have a lot of time, but I will come back to it next week. So emotions are feelings that come and go, and they're usually fairly easy to recognize, at least the most basic ones. As distinct from moods, which are more in the background, just sort of coloring our general experience. And they sometimes feel like a composite of different emotions kind of mushed together. And because they're in the background and they're more complex, they're often harder to see and they tend to last a bit longer than simple, single emotions. So I sometimes use the example, you know, in English we talk about being in a bad mood. Well, what does that actually mean? You know, if we bring more investigation to it, if we're practicing mindfulness of the mind, we might start to recognize, well, it's kind of a low-level depression. And perhaps there are some overtones of irritation or frustration. And maybe there are some spikes of self-judgment in there. And often quite a lot of resistance unconsciously trying to get rid of all of that unpleasantness. So all of this is feeding into what we might call our bad mood. And when I was doing this kind of investigation for myself a while ago, I was trying to describe it to myself, and I suddenly had this flash of, the language was starting to sound a little bit the way people sometimes write about wine, (laughs) using all these different synonyms. And I found a website that actually generates fake wine-tasting notes. So this is <laughs> this is one example. The Soprano Winery merges disguised pickle mid-tones and a caramelized sushi aftertaste in their 1999 Bordeaux. And I started to apply that process to my own moods, and I could recognize definitely some sour mid-tones and a belligerent yet anxious aftertaste... Now, of course, that's a joke, but we learning how to be connoisseurs of our own moods, not so we can dwell in them, but so we can get more clarity about what's actually going on in the service of helping them to release, not get rid of them, but allow them to have their own life. And then lastly, we have mind states. And this includes all the other aspects of mind that don't necessarily fit in as thoughts, emotions, or moods, but they are identifiable mental qualities. So they're not so much about the content of the thoughts or the feelings of the emotions and the moods, but they include things like alertness or dullness, concentration or distractedness, interest or disengagement, brightness, fogginess, and so on. So they're distinct qualities of mind, but they don't necessarily have an emotional overtone to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in a moment, we're, well, after the tea break, we'll be doing some guided meditation about all of this. But just to say a few words about what sometimes happen when we approach working with thoughts in meditation, the overall aim is to just let them come and go without suppressing the thoughts nor feeding them. So thoughts are not the enemy. We're not trying to get rid of them because, as I said earlier, that's just what the mind does. So some teachers say, just as the eyes see and the ears hear, the mind thinks. So we're not trying to get rid of our thoughts. We're trying to change our relationship to them. Just allowing them to come and go and find that middle way between suppression and indulgence. So this, again, is the quality of bare awareness that I mentioned is an aspect of mindfulness. Just knowing thinking as thinking. And in the sequence of the guided meditation we'll ease into it. So we'll carry on from where we left off last week. We'll start with the breath and the body, then we'll go to sounds, and then we'll open up to allowing thoughts to be there. Now some of you may have had this experience, but when you try to pay attention to thoughts, sometimes what people find is they disappear completely. They were plaguing you all through the session last week, and now when they're allowed to be there, they vanish. That's okay. You simply know or note. No thoughts or blankness or not much or whatever might be true. Other times people find the opposite, that when they turn attention to their thoughts, it's like turning on a fire hose, and there's just constant stream that can feel a bit overwhelming. Again, you can simply know or note lots or torrent or confusion. If you find yourself getting lost in the thoughts, see if you can just step out and notice, oh, confusion, confusion. At any point, you can come back to the breath and just stay with the simplicity of the breath for a while to steady yourself. And then when the Mindfulness is a bit stronger, you can open up to thoughts again. So, I'll give you more guidance when we're doing the actual meditation, but that's just to give you an overview for now. Okay, so thank you for your attention. We'll take 15 minutes now for what looks like a much needed tea break.